Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is our podcast, video cast, whatever it is, <laughs> where we move through the scriptures every single week. We follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. We are getting to the end of the Old Testament right now and gearing up our spirits and our hearts and our loins for <laughs> the New Testament. I couldn't tell if it was going to be Christmas or the New Testament. <laughs> and Christmas. Those and Thanksgiving. Kind of the same. Oh, yeah. When All will this the come good out? things. I don't even know. Yeah. Everything good is coming right now. You have everything to look forward to. You can get life. your hopes up. Yeah. Yeah. It's my life motto. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Two quick. Th- at the end of this video, we are going to share two Christmas traditions. Um, one is from last year. Remind you about the other is new this year. And we're going to share both those at the end. So stick around if you are interested. Yeah. And in if you're going to be with those. us for Christmas this year. We have got the funnest Old Testament tradition we are going to add to your collection of Christ-centered traditions. So we want to give you a couple weeks to prepare for Christmas. So we'll give you everything you need so you'll be ready for the Christmas lesson. Yes, yes, yes. And it has to do with Micah. And so that's why we're talking about it today. And good timing because it'll get you all ready for Christmas and have all the stuff that you need if you want to do that. And then the second thing is, I was just at um, Pinner's conference last weekend, and someone was so excited to come up and say her pre-ordered journal, she got a shipping notification for it. So they're out. That means they're, they're coming. coming. They're coming out. But they had that long line of everybody who pre-ordered first. So the fastest way to get one is to go on to make sure you have it for New Testament year is to make sh- is to either go to DesiretBook.com and pre-order it there, or you can go into a store. And you can pre-order it in the store, and then they'll call you when it's in the store, and you can go pick it up if you want to shave on, save on shipping or something like that. But it's out. It's coming to people. So we're fun. so excited. Okay, today we have two prophets that we're going to add on. Remember, we're going through the Book of 12 right now. It is, they're called the Minor Prophets by some people because of the length of their book, not the significance of their message. <laughs> we are putting Micah in right here in the Southern Kingdom. Remember, these prophets were prophets to either the Northern Kingdom or Southern Kingdom in their time period before they were taken off. And I think I read this morning that Micah um, prophesied about a hundred years before Jeremiah And when they tried to kill Jeremiah, one of the things that he brought up is he was just saying the same things Micah had said before, which is so interesting how we just cycle through the same um, wicked ways. That what was so common here is going to be common again here. And when we were reading, we were like, this is so common to our day right right now. So it's interesting that we tend to circle back around to all of those things. And, and how simple the solution is. And it's, yes. it's the same solution that's been simple since the beginning of time. And, and I was just thinking this weekend about that, actually, about, um, I can't remember why it was coming to my head, but there is a danger in the simplicity of the message. And that is, it's that, it's that um, serpent on the staff principle. Yeah. And it's so simple, I don't actually believe it's going to have an impact or it's going to work. My life's so complicated. My problems are so overwhelming. It can't be 
that, that simple. simple. And I think there's a difference between easy and simple. Mm. The path is not easy, but it is simple. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's so good. The other prophet's going to go up here. It's Jonah. We don't really know. Bible scholars don't really know which kingdom he belongs to. So we put him up here. Because, because his story has a lot to do with Assyria. Um, and so it feels like this is the place yeah, where he wants he to might, go. That he might be there. So that's where those two prophets go. And that's where you can add them on. That's week 48. You're putting both those in the 48 spot, which is and, crazy. And these are going to be happening. So now if we think about where we are in the storyline, this is going to be before the captivity and before they go into Assyria. So sometimes it's a little confusing because we were just in Daniel and in Daniel, they're already in the captivity and um, going through that process of exile. But when we get to these 12 prophets, we go back before the captivity and we get to hear what they were preaching at that time of wickedness when they were saying, if you would just turn yeah. your ways, yeah. it doesn't have to be like this. Right. So that's where, that's where we're at. We start with the book of Jonah, which is, um, <laughs> this might be the favorite of the two this week. It's one of those ones that you could, like five-year-olds know this story. And everyone's seen the VeggieTales version of this. If you haven't, who are you even? Like, go, go and see it. But it, it is like a lot more um, insightful and a lot more exciting. Well, it's exciting that he gets eaten by a whale, but that's sometimes the only part of the story that people know. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Which is great. It's got that's got a great lesson. But oh my goodness, there's so much mm -hmm. to this book that is so rich. I was just telling Emily this morning. I was like, I think Jonah might have become my new favorite book of the entire Bible. Um, and not <laughs> that, just that's what he says every time we're <laughs> about to teach. No, but remember when we taught Nehemiah, and it was like no one's gonna like this, and then it was like that's the best book. In yes. Ezekiel, it happened again. Anyways, we love them all. It's one we of those books it. where it just happens. So, if you've got your journal, we have on here for every single one of these Book of Twelve Prophets, sort of like what their name means, because that plays into the story a lot of times. What's the theme of this book? A key scripture, a key word, and then a key phrase for each of them. Those might be helpful for you, not only to have a summary, but sometimes in teaching the mm. books, it's nice to maybe move through it in in that sort of pattern. One thing you want to know about Jonah is this. Now, there's kind of two major um, schools of thought about the book of Jonah. And they both come from really faithful Christian scholars. And one of them is that Jonah was actually a historical character that someone has kind of created a um, exaggerated version of his life story about. And then there's another school of thought that says, and everything in this story is just sort of um, parable. Yeah. And so, and we can get the lesson from it, whatever it is, and that doesn't really matter. Um, but one thing that you'll notice in this story is it, this book is written in sort of a satire. It is exaggerated. It's over the top. It's wild. It's sort of like watching Saturday Night Live. You know when they sometimes <laughs> do those skits where they make fun of you and you laugh along, but then you realize like, Oh, they're kind of making fun of me, but I'm laughing along with it at the same time. So it's meant to kind of turn the mirror at you while you read it, but it's done in this totally, I think the word big or huge is used, I think I read 15 times in the book of Jonah. Like it just is this exaggerated yeah. book. 
to try and teach you a lesson. Which we love. And and it's fun to get caught up in the symbolism as you're going through. There will be pieces that you'll be like, oh, why would they have described it like that? Or what were they trying to teach me with this part? We did that for a long time this morning where we just looked at what are words that are repeated, like arise is repeated several times. Prepared is repeated several times. Um, you're going to want to look for the word turn, turn as many times as you can find it in Jonah. And one of the reasons why I love that word turn so much is because it's going to fully play into Jonah's lesson. We're going to ta be talking about a turning of the heart, uh, but a returning of second chances. And Jonah's name means dove or pigeon. And I love that oh. that's what his name... That was good. <laughs> I love that his name means um, that pigeon or a dove because they know to return. They just know to. It's like in their makeup of what they know mm -hmm. is this constant returning to this home place. It doesn't matter how far away you drive them, they will return to you. And that is meant to be the story of Jonah, but we're left hanging at the end. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. And every time it does something that's like an exaggeration or sort of comic booky. Oh, P.S. If you're listening on the podcast, you don't see this, but I drew the story of Jonah in a comic book kind of fashion. This might be a cool thing to put up on a board or something if mm. you're teaching. Almost like there's four major scenes that follow the four chapters. And when something ridiculous or exaggerated happens, you maybe want to stop and ask yourself, what's trying to be emphasized with this? Like, why, why yeah. are we having an exaggeration here? There's a, a lesson in it. If, if, if you know anything about the story of Jonah, right off, the, right off the bat, there's like a really clever thing that happens where it says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, which makes you think all of a sudden like, oh, this is like a, this is like a representative of the Lord, right? The Lord speaking to him. And, yes. And, and he's, a, he's got a message. He's yeah, got a and call. He's been called. Yeah, he's yeah, like a missionary. He's a prophet. He's something, right? And then it says, the son of Amittai. That word means faithfulness. So it's like his name is the dove, the son of faithfulness, mm -hmm. which is funny because he doesn't act like that at all. Because in the very, in this verse, he says, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it because of their wickedness. Then in verse three, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And if you look at a map, um, Nineveh is to the east of Jerusalem, and Tarshish is by Spain. It's the very edge of the known world to them. It's the so it's not, he doesn't just go the opposite direction, which he does to the place the Lord says, but he goes the very farthest opposite direction that you could go. He could have just gone to Egypt. That would have been a nice place to escape. But instead, he goes all the way to the other side of the so world. And it's so interesting because he pays the fare of it. Like he he doesn't just be like, I'll just get on the next boat going somewhere. He like makes a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. He pays the fare. He chooses the destination. And it's as far away from what God wants him to do as possible. Yeah. That's his choice. So that word Tarshish is like our version of Timbuktu. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the Lord said, go here. And he says, and I went to Timbuktu instead. Like I, you kind of, it's a description of what his heart is like right now. I don't just kind of want to ignore, but I'm running fully away from what the Lord's asking me to do. It kind of takes you back to the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. a little bit. I was where just you've thinking that same thing. Adam and Eve who run and hide. the presence of the Lord. Right. 
So he goes and he gets onto the ship and notice this. You'll start noticing words like this in verse three. He goes down to Joppa and then he goes down into the ship, right? And then he goes down into like slumber in the bottom of the ship. So you keep seeing this imagery of Jonah's going down, 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 down. And the Lord sends this really big wind into the sea and a, and a big storm. And I, I love this storm that comes in and it's attributed to the Lord here because Jonah's trying to run. And I love right off the bat, it shows a God who's going to run after him. You know, he's like, I'm not going to. C.S. Lewis once called um, God the hound dog of heaven. He's just like, you can try and run, but he is going to come find you. Yeah. Again, kind of like the Garden of Eden. They run yes. and hide and God comes and says, where are, where you? are you? He comes yeah. in pursuit. He comes in searching. And one of the awesome things about this book is at the end, when you're done with the story, you might want to say, what did we learn about the character of God from this story? Like, what did we learn about who he is, yeah. what he's like? Um, so everybody on the ship is so afraid. You've got these sailors in verse five, and they're all praying unto all their individual different gods, and nothing <laughs> you love is when working. He says that. They're like, yeah. you, you pray to yours, you pray to yours, you, you. It's like everybody. a crapshoot. Whatever lands, we're going to take it. Whichever God's going to help us, we're going to take it. Then they start throwing all their stuff into the ocean. So they're like losing money now. And they're so desperate. Like this feels like a really violent, scary storm. And like they're in this panic mode. And, and they go down to the bottom of the boat. And Jonah is down there just fast asleep. He is sleeping. And so the captain comes down to him and he wakes him up. And he asks this question. What are you doing, sleeper? In verse 6. What meanest thou, sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God. Right, because we all have have done that. Yeah, we tried ours. Right, and he didn't. He didn't hear. And I do love that one phrase that is in verse six when he says, "Oh sleeper, arise." And sometimes I think about that when I um, am reading this book. Am I sleeping? Have I gotten lazy? Mm. Am I avoiding God? Am I not responding to things I should? I would normally respond to. But have I gotten to myself in such a dark place that I am just apathetic to yeah. what's going on around me? And I love that that is the first call. Uh, like he calls him out. He's like, you are sleeping right. right now. There's something going on and you're like, you're missing it. And, and it, he doesn't say, wake up. He's like, arise, yeah. do the thing you were called to do. Right. Right now. And it's interesting that, you know, sometimes it's it's his decisions that are kind of causing this or whatever it is. But for a lifelong Christian, there is a danger in monotony. Mm. Like I'm going through this again and again and again that I've totally missed it. Yes. I've just like lost all like there is a storm happening. There's something really dramatic going on. And he's just like, eh, like sleeping yeah, through, through it, it. Right. And that I look arise, oh sleeper, arise and call upon your God. And this is also interesting to me. And you're going to see this happen with these sailors. Again, as a satire, sailors are supposed to be the rough and tough rumblers of the sea. They're supposed to be drunk on rum. They're yeah. supposed to be like, yes. you know, they don't actually care about religion and faith and God. And in this story, Jonah's sleeping through it, and they are calling upon God right? And they're waking him up. And they cast lots, which was an ancient way of like trying to figure out what, whose fault is this, whatever. And it lands on Jonah. 
And then you love this part. I love this part so much. There is this tribunal that happens. Like I just imagine him (laughs) sitting up and everybody is sitting around him and they're like, you, you are the problem and we're going to get to the bottom of it. So now we've got to figure this out. And they ask him three questions, which are going to prove to be really enlightening by the time we get to the end of the book. The first one is, what is your occupation? The second one is, where did you come from or what is the country you are aligned with? And the third one is, who are your people? And he could answer that really easily, right? I'm, what is my occupation? I'm a writer. What's the country I come from? Lehigh. Who are your people? The Freeman family, right? You could have a a really small, simple answer, but this is Jonah. And um, what is his occupation? And maybe he would have said prophet, right? That's what we call him now today. And if he is a prophet, then where's his country? And his country would be um, stemming from Jerusalem, but stemming from a, a religious soil, right? He, he would be, that would be his, his land. His land is God's land. And who are his people? God's people, which means all those people on the boat should have been his people. And all of the people from the country he's running from should also have been his people. Yeah. That should have been true for him. And it's interesting that he has forgotten, he's forgotten his mission. He's forgotten God's purpose for yeah. him. And if he had remembered, I'm the prophet and the country I come from is God bearing and the people in Nineveh are my people, his, the way he was facing would have been so different. Yeah. But somehow he had forgotten that. And, it's, it, and you're just making me think when he asked, like, what's your job? And he said, a prophet, they could have said, and what do prophets do, right? His answer should have been, oh, they represent God to the people. They speak hope into people's stories. They rescue. They, yeah, they, they give deliver. Solution. They, they help po- save. They point you to him. And what's interesting is it's his job to point people to God, but he was sleeping through it. And the shipmaster had to come down and say like, hey, I think you should pray. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait, <laughs> that actually should have been Jonah saying to everyone else, like, I think we ought to pray. And again, this is exaggerated. Right, the prophet is sleeping. This is against the character of prophets, and sh- and ship captains are are becoming preachers, right? And so the exaggeration is making you realize, like, oh my gosh, am I asleep in, you know, in my yes. own who I am and what I've been called, called to, to do? When my, my purpose is, and then you love this part, yeah. how he answers. It's so funny because he says, "I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord." And remember, capital Lord is always it's the covenant name, right? And he says, "The God of heaven, which made the sea." That's his first line, and the dry land. And they said, why have you done this? You know, because it's interesting that of all the things you could have said about who the Lord is, he's the one who made the seas. And they said, why are you running from the God who made the seas on a boat? That would be a really bad idea. (laughs) You should probably have picked something different, don't you think? And they asked him, like, then what should we do? And he'd already told them, by the way, they find out that I'm running from the presence of, of the Lord. I'm I'm actually running from him, and they're, and isn't that interesting that these pagan people are like, why are you running from your God? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yes. You shouldn't run from your God. Like, yeah, and they're like, well, what should we do? And he says, just throw me in the ocean, like I'll just I'll just die, just drown me, which is such a 
Um, dramatic. Yeah, so answer. dramatic, number one. And number two, you can see again, I'm still trying to run. Yeah. Because, like, if you wanted to, like, the proper answer would have been, like, okay, take me back. I need to steer toward Nineveh, please. You know? <laughs> Instead, he's just like, throw, I don't actually, I still don't want to go. So my next I'd rather move, die. Just throw me in the water. Yeah. Then I go. will just drown. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we can't throw you. In. And this is so funny. There's like the sailors, they've just lost all their money. The yeah. storm is crazy. And you'd think they'd say like, perfect. Someone <laughs> Get throw rid of him, him overboard. Yeah. Instead, they start trying to row to save him. <laughs> like seeing again, these <laughs> sailors who were like living the way Jonah should be living. And they try and try and try. And they, it, it, this, it doesn't cease from raging. It says in 15, right? They're still going. And so um, they throw him into the water is what they do. And then 17, the most famous verse in all of the book of Jonah, is what made him famous. It says, now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Um, so then you're going to get into chapter two, which is Jonah in the belly. Jonah in inside the inside the belly of the fish. And you kind of um, it's this poem and it's this reflection and it's just this like his sort of like kind of answering those three questions. Yep. And I right? love as we get into two and three, I want I want to think about this as we get into these two scriptures, because in chapter two, we're going to watch the Lord try and win Jonah's heart. And we're going to watch the same thing in chapter three, um, but with the people of Nineveh and, and four. And four, again, but two and three for right now. We'll just pause and just do those two because it'll make it more simple. And he's going to try and win the hearts of these people. He's going to try and give them a second chance. Chapter two is the gift of a second chance. And chapter three is the gift of a second chance. But one thing that I think is interesting is that God had in verse 17, it tells us God had prepared a saving. He had prepared a saving. For them, um, it was already done, and it had something to do with three days and three nights, and the saving that would come from that. And I just love that symbolically underneath that, that we can think to our own selves: God has prepared a savior for us. He has prepared a second chance um, avenue, right? He's prepared yeah. this way for us to experience deliverance through him. That's what he had prepared. And I love that it uses that word, that God had prepared um, a rescue or a a deliverance. And we talked about earlier that it's funny because what actually saves Jonah from the ocean is this well. And when Jonah gets eaten by the well, like we're like, that saved him from drowning. But he probably was like, well, this is just one more thing. Right. Like it just keeps getting worse. Right. And it keeps getting worse. And it, But the well has the potential to be his saving place if he would take the opportunity. And as we were reading two and three, we were like, there's something opposite that happens in both of these situations. And it becomes really apparent by the time you get to chapter four. So Jonah does go through a progression. Right. In the belly of the well. Right. And and I think it's because, I mean, the some of the words as you get into chapter two, 
and let me just back up for one second to say some another line about that verse 17, which is, um, this was so unexpected and so wildly unanticipated, this ma- manner of rescue. Yes. And I think you will say the same when you read the New Testament. There's like, that was... That was um, extreme and unexpected and yeah. unanticipated. And not the, what we were watching right. for. We had no idea that that would be the mode of rescue, right? Yeah. Interestingly, the whale, Jonah saw it as a, as a symbol of death. I got eaten, you know, but it actually becomes a symbol of life and rescue. And, and we would say the same about the cross. You look at it and the tomb, and we would say... Those two look like symbols of death, and they actually are symbols of second chance, renewal, and life yeah. is what they are. And, and it's showing you again the character of God, right? How far are you willing to go to rescue me? He says, I'm a, I would actually make a big fish to swallow you and throw you <laughs> up on a beach three days later. That's how creative and that's how far I'm willing to go to save you. Yes. And then that becomes like part of his character and nature. He's like, I... I act, there are actually no limits for me and what I'm willing to do to save you. Yeah. Right? So into, in the belly of the whale, you'll start reading words like this. Um, and this might be good for a class, right? Describe what it's like in the whale, right? And it just says this, affliction, hell, belly, verse two, three, deep, compassed me about, waves, billows, five, depth, weeds wrapped around my head, right? He, he just has this, like he is in, he's yeah. rock bottom. Well, and he, bottom. Tells you, and the, he tells you that in verse six, the bottom. I'm clear at the bottom oh, and of that's, the whole entire Right, earth. and that's so interesting because remember, he comes down to Joppa, down yes. into the ship, down into it, down into the ocean. Now the he's whale is taking him bottom right of the to ocean. the ocean. Can you very get bottom. lower than the bottom of the ocean? No. no. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. so he really has hit this bottom place, which sometimes is really good for mm-hmm. people. It's sometimes really good for people because of what happens in verse seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Right, and that can happen. That can happen when he, when everything else is gone, and, every, and there's nothing else, and you're just in there with the shrimp bones. You know, the shrimp have bones. <laughs> you know, whatever else is in like skin. the, yeah. Skin. In the, Shrimp you're just, skin. Yeah, yeah. You're just in, in the whale with the bones and Geppetto and you're just in there and you're just like, I've lost it. I've lost everything. Yeah. Right? It can't get worse. It can't than this. get worse. And then you're like, I still have, I still have one God. thing. Right. We've got it's one Jesus. thing left. Right. Yeah, that's all I have. And he remembers the Lord. Right. And he says this after he's like, okay. I'll uh, I'll sacrifice, verse 9, and I'll praise in thanksgiving, and I will do, I will pay that which I have vowed. Or in other words, I'll do what I promised I would do. If you'll save me. Yeah. If you'll save me, I'll do those three things. So, so then, here's something again. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and he threw up Jonah onto the dry land. And isn't that so funny that the whale's obedient? You yes. know, again, it's another yes. thing you're like, Oh, that's a nice obedient whale. Yeah. Jonah. Like, <laughs> what should learn, you be doing? Learn from the whale. And and the one thing you want to write down here is it was Jonah mourning his circumstance that lends him 
to finally turning again to God. Um, That is the progression that happens right there, which is different than what happens in Nineveh because Jonah comes up and you love in chapter three um, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Like he, Jonah really is getting a second chance. He's going to be able to go back, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city and preach unto the, and preach unto it the preaching that I told you to say. So this time Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And it was a um, exceeding great city of three days journey. So it's going to take him three days to, to cross. Yeah. So again, an exaggeration because Nineveh was not that big. So he's trying to paint this city. He's like, it would take you three days to walk through the whole thing. Yeah. And then like that, that's not true, but it's like, I think we're setting this up because of the next verse. It yeah, would take so three awesome. days, but. Yeah. And Jonah began to enter into the city. It tells us. It's like as soon as he just puts one step in is what it makes me think. Yeah. But like he doesn't even have to get all the way in there. He doesn't have to whatever. He's like he began to go into the city and he says in our book eight words. In Hebrew, it would have been five. He just says those words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the entire message we have of Jonah. Yeah. That's it. Is it like, how do you think the Lord was like, Jonah, I need you to go into Nineveh and say five words. That's all. That's what I need you to do. And he's like, I'm not doing that. And went the other way. And you were like, but wait, it was so simple. Yeah. This is what you were talking about. It was so simple. You just had to say five words when you went in there. And you actually kind of get a little bit of the character of Jonah a little bit, because if you look at every other prophet, including Micah, that we'll look at in a second, they'll say, these are the words, because when he says, in five days, it'll be destroyed. And everyone will be like, well, whose message is that? Yeah. And how and do you know? How do you know? Who's and, coming? And, and why? And is there a way we can reverse this? When every other prophet has said all those things, right? You can reverse this. You can change. It's the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He's willing to rescue. He's willing to... He's the God of second gen, right? And, yeah. and all he goes is just like, you guys have 40 days or you're toast. <laughs> the done. end, right? Which is, That's again, satire, right? Yes. And it's just this like, one day, one foot in, there. There's your message. Yes. I did it. Yes. <laughs> right? Now I'm done. Right. And then there's this next verse, which becomes extraordinary, right? The city's gigantic, but right on the edge of it, one foot in, five words, from a prophet of the Lord. And it says, so the people of Nineveh believed God, right? Um, that's all it took, which is put in contrast to Jonah. Yes. Right? God has to chase him. He sends a storm. He, um, he sends messages through uh, rugged sailors. He swims in the ocean. He gets swallowed by a fish for five days. Like trying all or this. Three. Right, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> felt like five. Really it felt like five days in there, right? <laughs> God's done all these things to try and like win Jonah over. And it's like, he's still like pushing against it, kicking against the bricks, you know? And Nineveh, in Nineveh just five words, which is, you should know the most wicked, it's sin city. It's like the bad part, not just Vegas, the bad part of Vegas, right? Like, it's just like, it is the most wicked, nasty, horrible people reputation wise on the hist- in the whole earth at the time. In five words, and they decide to believe. They believe God, yeah, is and, what it says. And this is what happens. They believe God. They proclaim a fast. This part is really important. They put on sackcloth. Now, if you don't know what that means, sackcloth 
is a representation of mourning. And so in essence, they are mourning the fact that they have let things get this bad. And they're showing to God, um, we mourn what we've become. Yeah. We are mourning that right now. And we're willing to give it up. That's the fast, right? We will fast from this thing. In fact, um, there's two parts of this that we love. Everybody did it. The least to the greatest did it. And um, by everybody, we mean the king, which David will talk about in a minute. But also in verse 7, also the cattle, the cows had to do it. <laughs> and the sheep had to do it. Anyone who was in a flock or anything, they covered them in sackcloth. And they made them fast. Even the animals had to fast. Like Every part of the entire community is like, we will fast from everything that we have done wrong, and we will mourn the fact that we did it. And, and then we will see if God will turn again to us. But the king also. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, again, put them next to each other. That Jonah says, like, oh, this, my life is so bad. I need, I, re- I need to remember the Lord. But then you don't see anything happen to him. You don't, you see him put one foot in and give a five-word sermon. But in contrast, the city of Nineveh, when it says they believe, you can actually point to things that say, I actually see evidence that God has gotten a hold of your heart, right? Something is changing in you. You're seeing fruits of that turning where they're actually saying like, this is what we're going to do. And I love this picture of the king so much because the king in ancient times is the ultimate source of authority is what he is. What he says goes. He is the decider of what's morally wrong and what's morally right in the world. And so when you have this king who's the ultimate authority, who comes and it says he arose from his throne, and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh. You know, Mm because usually when they rise up, you're like, you did, you know? (laughs) And it says he took his robe off of him, which is a symbol of his kingly authority. So he gets off of his throne He takes that off, he puts on sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he goes down low. And then he causes this decree to go about to everybody to to do this thing. And it's so interesting to me. I heard someone describe one time a definition of sin, and it was this. It was taking God off of the throne of your heart and sitting yourself on it instead. Mm. And what you see in this moment is a king who says, I will not be the authority on this matter. I will not be the one who decides what is right and what is wrong. I will actually take off my right to authority and I will put on a mourning, a symbol of humility instead and say, God, show me how to live my life. Show me where I've gone amiss. Show me what I need to do in order to experience all the gifts that you have for me. Which is such a different way of living, particularly for them. But like even in our day, that is such a theme. I'm going to be authentic to myself. I am going to receive my own, you know, what I need to know. There, There is something funny about personal authority right now that a little bit trumps anything else in the world. And you a little bit, like, I'm like, was that Nineveh? Is that who Nineveh was? And that, that picture that you paint of even the king, the authority of the land saying, I will remove 
my personal authority from me and bow down and humble myself to know what does God need me to do right now? How does God want me to worship right now? What does that look like? How is God helping me see who I should become? And and we talked a little bit about what believing is earlier. And one of the things, um, as we were studying that word, and it's a word that we love, is it talks about how belief actually causes you to become something if you're doing it right. Um, it Another word is to make or to perform within you. And I love the thought that believing isn't just like thinking, oh yeah, I think that too, so I believe that. But it's actually believing makes you become. And is that true for you? You know, is it helping you to become something to make or to perform something in you? And for some reason, that didn't happen for Jonah. Right, right. Because he was only one foot in. And how many of us could look at ourselves and be like, am I one foot in or am I Ezekiel, you know, swimming? How far in am I? And something that was helpful for me in our discussion before we started was the, just the idea of both of those, right? There needed to be something like, and we don't get it in this story, right? Somehow they believed God because Jonah didn't tell him. So I, I don't know where yeah. they got it from, but there yeah. was something about God that made them think, oh, I'm going to actually turn to him. And then they did it because there is a tendency to be external only. Mm. That's a danger. I only do things I'm supposed to do. Tell me the yeah. uh, Ro- tell me the routine. Ro- ritual. Yeah. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. What are my what's my checklist? Okay. Am I, what am I saying? Talk to the bishop. What? What do I do? Yeah. But or there's this extreme, which is like, no, it only matters inside of my head. You know what I you know what I've done. And there's something about that word in Hebrew that's both of those yes. together. Yeah. And as we read through, we were like, it's so interesting because if you were gonna say what was the theme of um, chapter two? And, and you would think, well, this was the lesson in the fish, right? This was the lesson in the fish. And um, the third one, the lesson is in the sackcloth. And as we talked about that, sackcloth represents mourning. It represents reflection. It represents what, what do I need to change in me? that will allow me to turn again fully to God and him to turn again fully to me. There was like that meditative process that was happening and hearts were being worked on and they were letting go of some things and mourning where they had gotten to and preparing to re-engage. They were mourning their sin. When you read Jonah's story, Jonah mourns his circumstance. That's what he wants to mourn. He wants to mourn that it, the, all those things that had happened and all those words that you listed, that it was dark and he was in hell and he's in the depths and he's got the seaweed around him. And when he finally turns to God, his circumstance makes him turn to God. And then he's like, fine, then I will do this and this and this. Is, is that going to get me out? Like, just give me the list of what I need to do. And then um, I will get it. How long is it going to be? You know, if I've done something wrong and maybe you say to the bishop, how long is it going to be? Um, give, give me a checklist. Give me something to do. And I love this thought of 
these people, their immediate reaction was to mourn, to give up everything that was holding them back from God, and then just to sit. Like, don't you love the thought of whatever day it was when they walked out and covered all their cattle in sackcloth? Mm. What did the cows think, too, in that moment? (laughs) And all of the lambs are covered in sackcloth, and all of the babies, and all of the children, and even the king, and everybody's sitting in ashes, and that that moment of stillness, of like stepping away from previous behavior and just letting God settle in. Don't you wish you could see that day? Yes. Oh, and you just made me think of something my friend texted me the other day, right? When you said that stillness. Um, he sent me this quote from a book he's reading. He says, that's what that mindfulness practice called the sacrament offers. Mm. A chance to start fresh, to have sins lifted from shoulders, and to place our feet on new ground in a new day. If people understood that was being offered in that ordinance, they might just camp out or line up early, like for a big movie release, to make sure they can get a seat. Oh, that's so so good. Yeah, And I'm I'm so intrigued by this word, turn right now are you looking at eight eight yeah read that whole thing Yeah, it says this but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto god yea let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands that turn is that word shuv by the way that is sometimes translated as to repent It's, it's a walking word and it's a oh whoops i'm going the wrong way this direction will not lead me to life it's going to lead me to death. And you saw that with Jonah, where he, he decides to go this direction. Yeah. And it leads him down, down, down. And it actually wrecks everyone around him also. Mm. And he has no idea it's happening until yeah. that rock bottom. He's like, whoops. Yeah. Look what I've, you know, but he turns the other direction, but he doesn't actually turn. His body turns, but his heart does not turn. Mm. And, th- and you, but you see in Nineveh, there is that a heart and body turning again that turn to God. Yeah, and I love that part. And I think it's interesting because if you had to say what the difference between both was, Nineveh mourned their sins. Jonah mourned his circumstance. Yeah. And there's something about mourning your sin and, and the fact that you have accidentally turned from God and writing that, you know, um, and that process of quietness and stillness and meditation that is like, what do I need to do to be right with God right now? Yeah. Entering into that is such a beautiful thing um, compared to what Jonah was experiencing, which was frantic, um, you know, and, and you feel that in him and he's vomited out on the beach. And then it's so funny when he's like, I will step one foot in. That's as committed as I will be. Yeah. Where the other people are like, we will give up everything everywhere. Even our cattle and our sheep are going to participate in this. Yeah, and if I could interview the city of Nineveh, which I will someday, (laughs) um, given it's not a parable, I hope it's real because I want to interview them. And I want to say, what did you discover about God that caused such a response? Like Mm. that's what's missing from three, unfortunately. That you wish you knew. That I wish I knew because I was like, um, destruction would not have turned them in this way. They were the mighty nation of Assyria. So there was something that was more potent 
than 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 a threat mm. that turned them, and and we're missing that yeah. from from the story. But maybe because it's different for everyone. Yeah, and possibly. if they had spelled it out for Nineveh, you wouldn't have found what yours is. Because I do think that process. Someone once asked me if you were to describe grace in an object, what object would you choose? And oh, what I an interesting question. Yeah, and I immediately thought to myself. Um, I have a ring of my grandma's that is a European cut diamond. And it means that there are facets all on, you can see them cut into the diamond all across the whole top of the diamond. It's actually what makes the diamond shine is because of those facets. And in my mind, that is grace. That's what grace looks like. And it's going to be a little bit different for everybody according to your story and your need. How that um, covering that comes from Jesus plays out in your life is probably gonna look different than it did in my life. But all of our stories combined is what brings the beauty of what we learn from the atonement of Jesus Christ, about mm. what we learn from his grace. And so I do love that that he's like, you put on the sackcloth and you let go of what's holding you back and then you will discover grace, mm. your grace. Um, that's awesome. And I want to think of what symbol I would pick, what, you know, mm -hmm. to represent it. And I think there's a lesson in four, chapter four, that kind of maybe teaches us what was missing from what Jonah missed and what yeah. Nineveh got. Yes. You know, like Jonah missed the lesson and Nineveh understood it. And I think four helps us see that because once all the people do that, you would think, again, if this were not a satire or so extreme, you would think, what's the next natural response? Is Jonah would be like, oh, awesome. It was worth that it. was, yay, you guys, yeah. you changed. And you used to skin people alive. And now <laughs> look at you, look at you, you know? Yes. Instead, it says he, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was so angry. In verse one, which is not what you would expect from it. And he prayed unto the Lord and he says, this is why I didn't go in the first place. Because I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to <laughs> anger and of great kindness and that you change your mind on people. And I'm like, what? Like, why are you so mad? Yeah, but he, did it. he hated the people so bad. He was like, I will choose. I will choose who God can forgive and right. who God can't forgive. I'm going to choose it. And this is why he's mad. This is why he didn't go is because he thought they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. They don't deserve second chances. I don't think you know what they're like and you're not going to get it. Yeah. And this is the part where the mirror comes into play. Right. That makes you so nervous because have you ever had that thought when someone walks into a church building that you're like, they shouldn't be here. Right. They, they shouldn't come in. The, uh, do, we, do we allow that in the church building? You know, that you start thinking, but, uh, and do we want um, our kids seeing this representation or this, or it's that, it reminds me of the sacrament. Wh who's the man that you love that said, my favorite smell in sacrament meeting is cigarette oh, smoke? yeah, yeah. Who was that? Well, several have said it. Jay oh. Golden, is that who's I that? I love or? it so much because we would be like, you can't, no. You can't come in here like that, you know? And that he's like, why? Who, right. who doesn't deserve a second chance? Who? Well, and, and it's so interesting because that when, I, when you said that first line, 
that someone might be tempted to say is like, oh, they they don't belong in here. Under, you know, it's like, for what reason? And you would actually list the reasons you don't belong there, right? Is what you yes. would actually list out. Yeah. It's like, well, they're a sinner. They're disobedient. They're, they're this. And it's like. <laughs> this is, what does Jesus what are, do? Yeah. Who, what's his? I want to go back to what the guy said at the very beginning. What if you said that to Jesus? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? And who are your people? Mm. What would Jesus say? Anyone who wants to walk through the door, I'll take anyone. Right. I'm Savior. I come from heaven. heaven. God sent me. Yeah. And my people are all of you. Yeah. That's- so anybody who wants to come in, you come in. And and what if I'm Jonah? What if I'm like, they shouldn't be in here. That He shouldn't have worn that to church. Mm. You know, they, that guy should not be blessing the sacrament. Like how many times have we done that where we couch <coughs> who can be saved and who can't. Right. And and something really kind of <coughs> wild happens for Jonah, this extreme, almost like God's teaching him this really potent lesson in a really like exaggerated way where he says that, where he goes out and first the Lord asks him a question in four and he's like, doest thou well to be angry? Do you have justification for being mad about the fact that I saved this city? Like, tell me the reason that you would be mad about something like that. And he doesn't answer. And he goes out and he makes a booth out on the hill and he sits there so he can watch what's going to happen to the city. And you know, he's not watching for good things to happen. And the Lord prepares this plant that grows up overnight and and shadows him, gives him a shade in the morning from the hot sun. And he's just like, oh, that's so nice. It's so interesting that he prepares the worm. He prepares the um, east wind. Like these circumstances, again, are what God's going to set up to try and win him again. Yeah, to try and reach him. And it's interesting because then he asks him this question again in 9. Dost thou do well to be angry for the gourd? Do you have justification for being so mad about that gourd dying? Because he gets so mad that it dies. And he says, and, and there's something interesting because as you're, right, you're like, obviously something's going on inside you. Right. People don't get that mad about right. bean plants. Right, <laughs> and he's just like. I love that you think it's a bean plant. It's a gourd is like a pumpkin. It has well, those gigantic that... <laughs> leaves. Like there could not be a better covering. There couldn't. <laughs> well, it feels like Jack and the Beanstalk because okay. it grew so fast. Okay. So then he says this. He says, "Yes, I'm so mad I could die again." <laughs> You're just like, "Oh my gosh!" Obviously, like you've got like, you know, at night when when your kids were little and they it was past they got bedtime. too tired. Yeah, and yeah. you were just like. Apparently, you've got to go to bed. Yes. Because you're acting so irrationally. So you see him acting so irrationally. And he just says in verse 10, you have pity on that gourd and you didn't labor for it to grow. Um, You didn't plant it. You didn't do anything for it. It only was here for a day. You didn't even spend that long Yeah, you shouldn't be attached to it. You shouldn't be that attached to it. And if you're that upset over a gourd plant, that you didn't plant, take care of, or grow, or know for very long, should I not be upset to lose the city of Nineveh with all of those people who are in it, who haven't had a chance to know what was right and what was wrong because no one has come to them yet? Should I not have compassion on them if you're going to have 
that kind of react that kind of emotional reaction to a plant why would you not expect me to have an emotional response to that city and it also makes me think too if you're going to get so attached to a thing you know shouldn't you be attached to people in that same way with that similar response and and be able to to say okay I can see, like, I still go back to that covering. He's trying to provide a covering for Jonah of safety and rescue from the hot sun. I love that he keeps coming back to why would you not want that for your people? You know, the people who I sent you to, why would you not want them to have the covering? Yeah, and and unfortunately, because of that... um racism he has that that discrimination that he has that almost religious discrimination too or it's like i'm a hebrew i come from the people of of god yes these are not the people these aren't the people of of god and when he saves them he's so so upset and it's interesting because jonah missed he missed the lesson in the fish he was like don't did you miss how it's funny because jonah's like you shouldn't love my enemies. Yeah. And God's like, could say back, you're actually lucky I love your enemies because you're acting a lot like an enemy an enemy to me. Yeah. So you missed it. You missed that you ran, that you ignored, that you wanted nothing to do with me. And I pursued you and I saved you and I rescued you. Like you missed that I... That you were worse than them, and I still saved you. Well, and I love this. He's still, this book ends with God still pursuing Jonah. Right. That's one of my favorite parts. Right. Is he's, he doesn't give up on him. He is still after Jonah, even after Nineveh is saved. Right. So I, I adore this book. The theme we put on here is a God of second chances. But I also want to like just lean into this a little bit and just talk about the fact that it's like how extreme the book was yeah because it really shows that part of god's character like i will go to great measures to rescue you to to save you um none of you were deserving of being saved or rescued like what did jonah do yes that deserved the the whale saving him right in the water nothing God should have let him drown yes. if we want to play by Jonah's rules. But instead he saves him. And, and I think, this is what I think sunk into Nineveh somehow that didn't sink into Jonah. It's like the radical, uh, like um, just abundant, gracious rescue of God didn't rest inside Jonah's heart. Yeah. And when it rested inside Nineveh's heart, maybe, maybe they thought to themselves, wow. We've been so bad. We actually deserve for God to throw fireballs on us. We actually don't deserve a second chance. And yet he's willing to. Wow. Like, I want to follow a God like that. Yeah. That didn't sink into Jonah's heart, and it did into Nineveh. Well, at least yet. Yes. Jonah's a dove. Maybe yes. he'll he still can, return. He'll still return. <laughs> That's what we love. And I love, as we've thought about um, one of the ways we would teach these prophets would be to hook them to a modern day example of someone giving the same message. And one of our favorite messages from conference that we feel like goes really well with Jonah's talk is Sister Browning's talk. 
And she says this, just as we are today, God's ancient people were invited to see their lives through him in order to see more of him in their lives. But by the time of the Savior's ministry, the Israelites had lost sight of Christ in their observances, setting him aside and adding to the law unauthorized practices that had no instructive symbolism pointing to the true and the only source of their salvation and redemption, Jesus Christ. And I just love that thought of if Jonah had learned to see more of or to see through him, like he did in that really dark moment where it says, and then I remembered the Lord. If from that moment forward, he was able to see through him, he would have seen more of him Mm. in his life. That's awesome. Okay, so theme of God of Second Chances, the scripture was Jonah 3, 5, with that word believe, a phrase, O sleeper, arise. And then that word arise and is what's in your journal, but I also added turn because you just... Um, Yeah, I love that thought of just, are we sleeping through something big that is happening and is our response to actually arise and and be part of it? Yeah, and and I would say that big thing that's happening is the saving work of Jesus. Like, that's what he was missing. Yes. You know, it's just like, oh, like that act is so revolutionary and so generous that it's like how can you sleep through something like that yeah you know it's so and you're missing it and he misses it yeah because of all of his hatred toward those people who didn't deserve it yeah he actually misses out on being a part of the grand one of the grandest rescue stories of scripture yeah the city of Nineveh repenting is one of the grandest greatest redemptive stories that there is and Jonah could have been a witness and an instrument in it and his discrimination and his religious piety and pride prevented him from getting to watch God do that. It's so good. Okay, we're going to go fast on this book of Micah. We just really wanted to lean into this story, but we do want to give you the kind of the theme and And we have a couple favorite scriptures from Micah. So we're going to grab both of those. Um, We love that Micah means who is like God. And maybe we can just dive into that little part first, and then we'll go into the theme and the yeah. other two. Yeah, and I like these verses. If his name means who is like God, then I want to say, well, what's God like? And then, so if you go into like these verses, the first one is Micah 6, verse 8. And it says this, He hath showed me, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Like that is a description of what Jesus did when he came to this world. Right? And then one chapter over, you go to chapter seven, add on to the seven through nine. I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, he will be my light. He will bring forth to the light, and I will behold his righteousness. Mm-hmm. That's seven, seven through nine. And then 18 through 20. Who is a God like you? Don't you like that line? Yes. He's like, there's yeah. no God there's like no you, else. one that pardons iniquity one that passes by transgression, one that retaineth not his anger forever because he actually delights more in mercy, he will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will remember his promises he made to Jacob and to Abraham of old. And, and this is, when you say, who is he like? 
This is the message of all the prophets. We kind of like alluded、mm-hmm. to this in once you discover who he is first, that, that is what motivates a heart to want to pursue a relationship、yep. with him.、Um, we love that one of the things that happens in Micah is this forward、um, prophetic waiting for Jesus. And it happens twice. One is a call for our day. One is a call for their day. And we love both of them. The, one, the call for our day is one that you would be familiar with. It says, In the last days, I'm in chapter four, verse one. It shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And one of my favorite parts of this idea is this house that is at the top of the mountain. But that word that he uses that people shall flow unto it. You think about a river for a minute, and rivers don't flow up, they just don't. It's like against. I want to say gravity, but I don't even know if gravity is the reason why. But rivers always go down. For something to flow up would require miraculous intervention、yeah. for that to happen. And I love that he's like, this is what's going to happen in the last days is there will be this,、um, the Lord's house at the top of the mountains, and people from every nation will flow unto it. And it's interesting that you're just like, you think for yourself, like, that shouldn't happen, you know? And it does. Yes. And the same way that Jonah said to those, you shouldn't be saved. Yeah. This shouldn't happen. And the message here, I love the words, all nations, many、yes. nations. Flow gives you this like feeling of it's not trickle. Yes. Like, it's just going to be like this gigantic, like, People you know, will come. A redemption of all. You、mm-hmm. just quoted my favorite movie, Field of <laughs> Dreams.、Right. You know, if you build it, you know, the people they will, will come. come. And, and, and just, I love that imagery. And I can almost like go, I want to just go back to Jonah and be like, and can you be okay with this? Yeah. Can you be okay、yes. with a God who's going to save so radically? And, and not only be okay with it, but could you celebrate it? Yeah. And be involved Because in Because you know the one mistake Jonah made is he was like, okay, fine, I will sacrifice, right? He said those three things. One of his three things was, and I will have gratitude. He forgot、yeah. about <laughs> that one. Which he promised in the belly. <laughs> he forgot one of、you、the、know? promises. Yeah. And so、it、I love that. that. Oh, which, I mean, it's that parable. We'll just say it real fast. You know that parable that bothers people from、yes. the New Testament? Yes. Where they're like, the last worker shouldn't get as much as us? Yes. And I all, whenever I read that, I think to myself, oh, if you're getting upset about God being so gracious to the 11th hour workers, it's because you actually think you're a first hour worker. When the day you realize that I didn't earn it and I didn't deserve it, and I'm actu- I was actually picked up the side of the road and given a chance, is when you can celebrate. When you realize、yes. that everyone's an 11th hour worker. Yes. Is when you can celebrate with everyone. And that's the picture that's、so、he paints, right? Of this. And it's cool because the rest of the book of Micah is like, you guys, you got to change your ways. You've got to do it. But then there's this prophecy of 
Oh, eventually God's not going to give up. And eventually this is what it's going to Yeah, Everybody's like, going to come. Everybody's right? going to come. Despite so, what you look like right now, this is what it's going to look like someday. Yeah. That's the second coming prophecy. But there's also a first coming prophecy in here that is one of our favorite Christmas prophecies. Of so all cute. the prophecies given. It's in Micah chapter five, verse two. And it says this, but thou Bethlehem, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been told from old, from everlasting. Like people have been talking about this forever. And we love when he says, uh, but thou Bethlehem, though thou be little, like you are the least, you are the smallest, you might be forgotten. Um, it, no, no one even knows, but yet from the least, from the very smallest, from something that seems insignificant, the greatest miracle of all yeah. will come. And it will come from out of you. And as we were thinking about these prophecies this year and as we were preparing for the Old Testament, you know we both love Christmas. I love it more than David. I'll arm wrestle you on that. <laughs> I decorate a full month before David does because that's how high my anticipation is. Argue back. Well, I am trying to build anticipation like Jesus did. He <laughs> okay. built it in the first coming and the okay. second coming. He was like, well, like he's just baiting you. So we started talking about Christmas this Christmas months ago because we were so excited about it. And we started thinking it would be so fun to see what the people in Old Testament times were watching for when Jesus came. Yeah, like, because today... Yeah, I, we want to do the same thing. I want to be like, I want to start capturing the prophecies for when he'll come again. And as we talked about it, we were like, what if you were just a little boy growing up in Jerusalem and you were to ask your dad, what should I watch for? Like, what should I be looking for? How will I know if he's coming again? And as we talked about it, we were like, okay, we want to pull this all together. When I was growing up in our home, we had this tradition um, that was the 12 symbols of Christmas. And we would do it for family home evening. We loved it so much. It, it's like you knew Christmas was coming if my mom pulled out the felt <laughs> box with the symbols of Christmas in it. And she would hold up each one and she would be like, the star represents this. The candle represents this. The wreath represents this. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, I wonder if families did that in the Old Testament where mm. they were like, here's what you should be watching for is this thing. And so we sat down and, and just went through and listed every prophecy that there possibly was. And this is what we're going to be doing for Christmas this year. And we want you to know you can do it with the book if you have littles at home and you feel like that's going to help you teach it better. There is a book that you'll be able to find at Deseret Book. But we're also going to put in the newsletter exactly what you are going to need in order to go through all the prophecies with us. And so um, we'll put a page that looks really similar to this in the newsletter. Um, this is the last page of the book for those of you who can't see, but it's gonna tell you everything that you need. A star, a flute, a pomegranate, frankincense, an olive leaf, wool, a rock, a staff, oil, lamp, a lamb, and straw. It's gonna tell you all of the things that you're going to need. And we're going to kind of do that same thing my mom used to do, where she would pull out that box and then she would lift up what everything represented. 
one fun thing that I just want to tell you. Well, I was going to say, we, so our Christmas lesson for Don't Miss This is we're going to go through all these prophecies, but we just want to give you a chance to be able to gather some of those because yeah, that Christmas because you, lesson is going to come so close to Christmas Day. You might want to. So I read this to my grandbabies who were here this weekend. And as soon as I was done reading, Kingston was like, I need a bag, Nana. And then we went outside, outside and we got a leaf that he, they wanted a branch they could put in their bag, just like the boy in the book did. And they got so in the we should say and, we should say, in the book, the storyline is, yes. as the dad teaches the little boy what to watch for, he will grab little things to remember. Put in his like little the, bag. Those little, the little yep. symbols of Jesus he puts into his bag. And uh, we didn't have a pomegranate here, so they got apples out of the fridge. It was fine. That's part of the book. And this little um, oil lamp, and there was a piece of wool, and you need a lamb for part of it. And we went outside, and they both picked a, a rock, and you need a stick for part. And seriously, they carried those bags around for an entire morning, just these things that we gathered up from around the house. I do want to say this cute thing about the book. If you have littles at home, um, all of those little symbols are actually right here on the book cover that you can cut out. And there's this cute little pocket at the back of the book where you can keep them. But this is the best part. This is what they, my little ones played with all day long. Uh, this is the cover of the book, but on the inside cover is this nativity scene because there comes a night when the angels come and Micah, who is the little boy in the book, says, is this it? Is this what we've been watching for? And then you get to get out all of those little prophecies are all within the inside of this. And my little ones just played with all those prophecy pieces for an entire morning. They just sat out there and played with those prophecy pieces. And I thought, this is so fun. It's so fun when Christmas comes alive and becomes tangible and something they want to be a part of. So we tried to pick things that you would either have at home or that would be easy to replicate for you to be able to make this and be prepared to do the Christmas lesson with us. So you don't need the book because we're going to give you everything that you need in the newsletter. But if you have littles and you want the book, it's going to complement exactly what we're planning to do. Or if you just love Christmas books. Then you, know, you might want it. You think yes. I'll buy Christmas books. Until I'm 95 years old because yeah. it's such a, a fun Yeah, thing. and we're so. so excited about the illustrator is Sarah Jane Wright, and she just did such a beautiful job. So yeah, that makes so it so awesome. fun. Yeah, so awesome. Should we just show one page inside it for whoever can watch? And yeah. if, you can't, if you're not watching, like, I mean, the drawings are just darling, everybody. Okay, it. and then you know we love this. And these are finally here. Remember when these were on a boat for all of last year? Last Christmas. Yes. And only like a small amount of people got them and it was so sad. And remember when I went to California and I was sitting on the beach and I sent that picture to you of 25,000 books lined up to get into Long Beach? Cars, you mean? No, or boats. Oh, Remember boats. the boats? I you said and boats. I was yes. like, yeah. our, Ours is somewhere on <laughs> our thing is right out there. Should I just swim out there and get it? <laughs> Now they're here. They no, made it. We tried so hard to get so them here last this year. This is another tradition that we love. It has all the names of Christ on the bottom, just engraved in the wood. And we light one candle every night and talk about one of the names of Jesus. Um, how do you do it? In our family, we light the first one one night. Then the second night, we light two. The third, we light three. The fourth. So by the end, this whole thing could start my house on fire Yeah, because I love that much light um, going on on there. I know some people just do one at a time, but um, I love light. 
at Christmas. Yeah. I love um, light, especially in the people, dark hours. Some people last year did it on just Christmas Eve, but I like the one a day a little bit more. Yeah. And we have those um, verses that we'll republish on our Instagram that will show like a scripture. You could yes. read one a night as you move through. The other thing that we did this year, because you know we have Christmas in March, everyone, so I pulled, this was here by March. It was <laughs> such a celebration. <laughs> and um, in our family, we have a tradition where everybody picks the name of Christ, uh, the name they came to, knew, to know him best by the previous year. So you look at all the names on the mm. bottom, and then whichever name is the name that describes your relationship with him that year, they would pull out the candle. And so then everyone got a chance to go around and say their name and light their candle. And it was so fun to put it in and just think, oh, and it was so interesting. Nobody had the same name. Mm. Everybody picked different so names. Awesome. So that was also really fun. Anyways, yeah. you know, we are so visual and we love finding ways to bring Christ into our most holy celebrations. So there's a couple of ideas you can be thinking of. And P.S., you can get this um, if you want it at Deseret Book. And what you would look for is it's called the Emmanuel wreath because of what the angel says to Mary Christmas, right before Christmas when he says, and he shall be Emmanuel. He quotes Isaiah. And that word Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us. And it just is that, remember that word Micah that means who is like God? Yeah. And it's like, oh, let, or what is God like would be our question. And he's like, he's a God who comes into our story. He's a God who pursues us like Jonah. He's a God who gives second chances like to the sailors and, and to Nineveh. He's a God who will do unexpected things to, to rescue us. And it's, it's neat to learn that all year long yeah. what he is like and then to, to celebrate that at the end of the year with all of his, all of his names. So Yeah. So good. Okay, you guys. Okay, we'll see you next week. Ciao. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.